Lord, we ask you to bless this time. Bless us as we open your word. Guide and lead us. Show us what you would want us to see from this section. And we want your presence in this activity. In Jesus' name, amen. Jude chapter 1. I'm going to start reading at verse 7, even though we're not talking about verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of ever of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not to bring a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beast in those things they corrupt themselves. We're going to stop there. I don't know that we're going to get that far. <laughs> All right, so we're here looking at the example they're talking about is Sodom and Gomorrah and their sexual sins and everything that led to their destruction, which is more than just the homosexuality and everything. They, they were just an evil people all the way around. And he says, like these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries. And here's the flow of what he's saying here. He says, number one, they're filthy dreamers, and they're beguiled with sensual images and being carried away, literally, is what this statement means. They're bad. That's pretty bad. They're, 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 all of their thoughts are totally polluted is what it's saying. And you know, this is where we're getting with our world even today. Uh, I'm getting to the place where I don't even like to watch TV on the good channels because of the commercials. The commercials are awful on most of these shows. Even when you're watching a supposedly good show, and most of them aren't good, but you know, you're watching a supposedly good show or good movie, and then a commercial comes in that is totally like, how did this thing even make it to TV? And, you know, and this is what he's talking about, that their thoughts are totally polluted. And you know, what we spend our time paying attention to will fill our minds and either clean our minds or pollute our minds. And this is what he's saying. These filthy dreamers defile the flesh or pollute the flesh. You know, and it's an amazing thing that what we think eventually comes out. It doesn't matter how much we think we're hiding it. If we fill our minds with evil thoughts, pornographic thoughts, uh, you know, garbage, you know, the old adage of the computer is garbage in, garbage out, that eventually will come out in our mind. What we fill our mind will eventually come out to people. And this is when we'll find, and I've found it so many times, you'll say something that you've been hearing on, the, on, the, on a song or on a TV show, and you'll go, where in the world did that come from? And if you really start thinking about it, it's what you have spent all your time listening to. I worked in a particular restaurant, and when I first worked there, they listened to rap music. And when I first got there, I had no clue what was being said on those words. After about a week, I started understanding the garbage that was going being said, and I said, we are not, I am not listening. I'm spending 50, 60 hours a week here. I am not listening to this garbage. And, you know, but I started really starting to hear, and then, you know, and you wonder why people are as evil and vicious and, and malicious as they are, you know, 
it's the music they're listening to, it's the shows they're watching, it's the books they're reading, and it'll eventually come out. They have polluted their mind, and that pollution of their mind pollutes the actual activities that they will follow up. So if we as Christians, our job is to get in the word of God and let God clean our mind and give us good thoughts, righteous thoughts, and then those thoughts will eventually come out as well. And this is why it's very interesting when somebody says they're a Christian and they're all godly and everything, and then you watch their life and it doesn't match God's word. I'm not saying they're not a Christian, but you're going, how much time are you spending reading the word as opposed to all the other activities you can be doing? And this is something that we have to get into, the, into our minds. Uh, the more I am spending my time listening to gospel uh, preachers and, and shows and stuff, the better off I am in the long run because I'm cleaning the mind. I'm sweeping it out. And then I read my Bible and study it on top of that. And so we have this whole process. And it says, then they go, they despise dominion. And this is kind of an interesting thing. They despise leaders in this particular case. And I'm thinking about our country. How evil are people's thoughts in general? And then the next step up is that they start despising any leadership. And I'm talking about any leadership. Uh, it's kind of interesting at the prison. There's certain inmates that I know are going to return back to the prison. Because just because of their attitudes toward rules in general and leadership. Uh, now, I'm granted not every leader is worth honor and, and authority, but they are placed in that position by God. And our job is to honor, if nothing else, honor the position. Uh, the military had a statement that you honored the uniform even if you didn't like the person that filled that uniform. You know, they had insignias on there that said they outranked you. You honored the uniform, the position, even if you couldn't stand the person, even if they were a total jerk. You still had to honor the position. And God is very serious with this whole idea of honor authority. And all through the scriptures, he's telling us to honor authority. In the New Testament, Peter, Paul, all the disciples say, honor the king. Who was the king that they were talking about? Nero. What was Nero? Nero was a real nice guy to the Christians. He imprisoned them at the best. Took them to the garden? No, he put them in the garden. Of course, he dipped them in oil and used them as torches in the garden. You know, he was a really nice guy. And yet they said, honor the king. Give him the honor that the position is due. I'm, not, I'm sure they weren't saying honor Nero as a person, but they're going, he is the ruler that God has put over the country. For us as Americans, we have a terrible government right now. And, but God is the one that allowed them to be put in place. Now, we have to honor that government and, and be respectful of that government now, that's not going to mean that when they make laws that are going to make it illegal to be a Christian and illegal to do certain things, we have to fall in line with that. But we still, and I've said this many times, the disciples said over and over, we have to obey God rather than man. But the flip side of that was when they disobeyed man, they took the punishment that was due that disobedience and didn't say, well, this isn't fair. We're obeying God. They took 
the, the, this, uh, the punishment that man dished out because they were honoring the authority. Now, there will come a time when we will have to make those kind of decisions. Are we going to honor God or honor man and possibly have to go through the punishments and the trials that will come along with the disobedience to man? And we can't go, well, I was obeying God. I, you can't punish me. That won't work. That will not happen. You know, God says, you know, you need to honor the authority. And they says... Here, they, they're filthy dreamers, they're defiling flesh, then they despise dominion, and then they speak evil of the dignitaries. They blasphemy or revile those dignitaries, those, those things that belong to God, literally, for dignitaries. And we need to be very careful about how we react to authority. And this is a hard area, especially for us Americans, because we don't like authority in the first place. Now, we don't like government. We figure that if they're not good, we'll just replace them, and we can say whatever we want to say about them. And there was a past president that I used to be very critical of, and then God asked me one question, are you praying for him? I'm going, of course not. I don't want him in office. If I prayed for him, I'd have prayed for you to kill him. <laughs> now, I didn't like him at all. <laughs> and, you know, and then it was like, you still need to be honoring him and giving him, a, you know, quit saying these bad things about him. Now, that was hard. That was very hard because I didn't like the guy. I thought he was a total, total idiot in office. And yet, God's saying, pray for him. Honor the position because I put him there. Now, that doesn't mean we can't vote him out of office or even, you know, campaign against them for somebody else. But it does mean that we have to honor that position. And that gets hard. It gets very hard to do that kind of thing as we go forward. But God is saying that this has to be done. And this is where he's saying you're going to defile your flesh, then you're going to go against your, the leaders, and then you're going to speak about anything that God has put in place. And so there's many places where we see this kind of downward trend. And we go, well, this, isn't, this is something that's new to us. No, it's been happening all along. And this is the great thing. There's nothing new under the sun is a very true statement. Uh, we think that all this uh, pollution of our, of our bodies and minds and everything is something new. Done during Sodom and Gomorrah, done during the Roman Empire, done during the Greek Empire. Uh, there were places where the images were and the statues were so pornographic that you couldn't walk down the town square without being embarrassed by the pornography that was in your face. You know, we have to go find it in books and, and, and the, on the computer, but they walking down the street. And you know, this is, you know, so in one sense, they had it worse than we did. All right? Uh, huh? Right in their face. And you know, if you read the books about the Old West, you know, now some of the movies will actually make the saloons look almost as bad as they were, but not even close to how bad they were. You know, those ladies in there barely wore anything to seduce these men, and that was part of what filled their minds when they went there. Poker and women, when they went to these saloons. And drink, <laughs> which the drink didn't help matters in the other areas. Loosen them up for the other yeah, loosen them up for everything else. So, but 
the situation that we're in is nothing different than it has always been. Maybe a slightly different way of delivering the sin, but all those sins are still there. And they've been there for forever. Homosexuality has been a major problem all through scripture. And we've seen it, and we've seen the violence of homosexuality in scripture. In Sodom and Gomorrah, they're wanting to tear down Lot's house to get to the angels. We had in the end of Judges, we had the Levite that ends up in Gibeah, and they're trying to tear down the house to get to him so that they can. You know, it is not unusual for that activity to be a very violent activity, and still to this day has violence attached to it in many cases. It doesn't get reported as much as it should, but there's still a lot of violence done from that lifestyle, and all sinful lifestyle leads to violence. And we saw a glimpse of that two years ago with the uh, with uh, Minnesota and, and Portland and Seattle being conquered by by sinful people and saying, you know, we want our way. You know, and this is something that happens over and over again. Sin, when it really pulls out for a full force without somebody disciplining it, will lead to destruction. Lead to their destruction ultimately, but also lead to destruction of people's possessions and property. And so all of this is this laying down, he's saying, this evil is going to destroy. And it leads to the destruction, not only of them, it starts with defiling their flesh, but then they start going after leaders, not honoring leaders. And at that point, there's all kinds of trouble coming in. When leaders aren't honored, the leaders have two choices. Ignore them and let them get away with what they want, which Minnesota and, and Portland and Seattle did this last year. Or you come at them with great force. Why did Pilate put Jesus to death? Because he had already had at least three events pri uh, pre previously, and he was told by Caesar, if you have another event that ha you have to put, use the military to put down and kill the citizens, you are no longer going to be governor over Jerusalem. Which meant, where he, was he going to go? The Eastern Front, <laughs> using the German term. He was going to go out in the middle of Timbuktu, where the... Where, where it was a bad place to go, nothing, nothing to go, and he's going to have to lead soldiers in battle and be taken out of his city. So what he was in a catch-22 as a politician, if he did what he knew he needed to do, which was to free Jesus, there might be a riot in the city, which meant that he'd have to call the soldiers out to, qu to quell the riot, and then he was going to be transferred to Germany or France to fight, fight battles instead of having a nice cushy job as governor. And this is what happens out there. Governments can quell violence, but to quell the violence means that they have to get more violent than the violence. And then everybody's going, look how bad you are. You know, you're causing all kinds of problems with how you took care of all of this. And this is what happens when sin reigns with, without righteousness. And as we see the church getting less and less influence to the world, we're seeing more and more violence from the sin. Because the government doesn't know how to respond because if it responds the way it needs to, people die. And then they get criticized, especially in America, for their heavy-handed 
fixing of the violence. And so this all is listed right here. Then he gives another example in verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not to bring a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, this is not mentioned in the Bible. This story about Michael the archangel and Satan battling with each other. All right, so this is not in the scriptures. It's either an apocrypha book or it is backstory. The Jews have backstories for just about every story in the Bible. But the event that it is talking about is from Deuteronomy chapter 34. And I'm going to read from verse 1. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab into the mountain of Nebo to the top of Mount Pisgah that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead and unto Dan and all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah unto the utmost sea and the south and the plains of the valley of Jericho and the city of palm trees unto Zorah. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it to, unto your seed. I will cause you to see it with your own eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, over against Beth Peor. But no man knows of his sepulcher unto this day. So... God buried Moses, <laughs> all right? Or as Jude tells us, most likely uh, Michael the archangel <laughs> buried him. But, I've heard that story before about Michael and the archangel huh? arguing with the devil about Michael the archangel, as far as we understand, is the warrior angel. He's in charge of all the host of angels. Uh, Michael. Uh, Lucifer was in charge of all the angels. He was the archangel over everybody. He basically led the worship primarily. And then the only other one that we know of is Gabriel. And the only time we see Gabriel is he's telling people a message. So those are the only three angels that we have the names for. Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer, or Satan. All right. Uh, and so Michael was the one that was being sent to pick up the body of Moses and to take him away. Why would have Satan wanted him? Well, he would have loved to have put him into this beautiful uh, tomb where the Israelites would have been able to see him, and then they would worship that tomb rather than worship God. And because God knew the nature of man, he was not going to allow that to happen. What has happened to the Muslims? They worship they worship, uh, you know, uh, Muhammad. They go to his tomb. They make, uh, uh, so technically they'll tell you they're not worshiping him, but I don't know why they go to his tomb to, to pray if they're not worshiping him. But God knew that if they had Moses' body, that he would have been the center of their worship. They would have had some kind of great church holy church to or synagogue to, to Moses and come see the body and this is a special place because he was God's great man. And so God took the body and buried it. But beyond that and where the story comes, we don't know. We don't know if it's a 
legend, but Jude is referring to it, so I'm going to say it happened. All right? uh, where the story came from, we don't fully know. But he says that while they were contending with the devil, he disputed with the body of Moses. He dared not bring a railing accusation against him or reproachful speech against Lucifer. And you go, well, why would he have a problem with this? He's the archangel. He's the new archangel. Lucifer was higher than Michael was to begin with. Why did David never go against Saul? Because Saul was the anointed of God until God took him out. And David would not raise his hand against Saul, even though Saul deserved it. Saul deserved David to come against him and saying, you're trying to kill me for no reason? I'm a stronger general, I'm a better general, I'm a better leader of people. David could have easily, and we do know at least two occasions where David could have killed Saul. And he chose not to. Because he says, God anointed Saul. And until he takes him out, I'm not raising my hand against him. Here and this is an example just of that. Lucifer, Satan, taken and cast out of heaven, but Michael still will not come against him because he was higher and will be higher until God takes him out completely. Now God cast him out of heaven, and what did he do? He tempted Adam and Eve into sin, and he became the ruler of this world. Jesus took back the title deed of this world, but has not opened it on the cross and he will, in the end days, open that title deed. And at the end of the millennial kingdom, Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. And that will be his final destination. And then nobody will have to worry about it because he will be isolated in, in, in the lake of fire. But until then, even Michael, the chief of the angels that is left, does not come against him. It says, what is this statement is? The Lord rebuke you. He knew who the power was. And he went to the ultimate power. The Lord told me to do this, so the Lord rebukes you. He couldn't have said, you're a loser, you quit heaven, and you know, because of your pride, you don't deserve to be in this position, and all this stuff. And he would not speak against that position. Now, what is the whole point of all this? How easy for it is for us to attack leadership in any way. And, we, and, and we'll justify it. Well, they deserve it. They're, they're terrible leaders. I understand that it's easy to do that. But God put them in leadership. And this is something that, you know, if you're really having a problem with a leader, go find someplace else so you're not under their leadership. Yeah, I used to talk about this kind of stuff in churches, you know, they needed to honor their pastor. And everybody at Envil, well, what if it's a bad pastor? I go, if they're a really bad pastor and they're not leading the church, right, go to a different church. They go, but we've got to protect the church. I'm going, well, if they're a bad leader, God leads you out of that church. God will lead the other good Christians out of that church, and that, that leader will have just what they deserve. A whole bunch of non-believing Christians to lead the wrong direction. Yeah, and be like, well, I don't understand. I'm going, well, your, your argument is not with me. It's with God at that point. 
God takes it seriously. When somebody's in a position of authority, we have to give them honor. My example about the president, which I won't name which president, and it's not the one everybody's thinking of, I'm sure, but you know, I did not like him. And I, no, I'm not old enough for Roosevelt. <laughs> not old enough for Roosevelt. <laughs> but I did not like him, and I constantly was attacking him and tearing, tearing down his policies and who he was and him as a person. And God was really trying to get me on this whole thing of, he's in there by my authority. Now, didn't mean that I was praying for him to be successful. I was just, but God did say I needed to pray for him. And my prayers were, God, would you please get this turkey out of office because I don't like him. But I stopped making my accusations to other people. You know, now, didn't like his policies, and I could talk about a policy that he made, but not attack him. And this is something that's very important for us to understand. Authorities are placed in position by God. For Daniel, he was in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was an awful, terrible man when David was in front of him. And, you know, now Nebuchadnezzar did apparently convert to follow God, but it didn't start that way. And Daniel was in submission to a man who was evil. Do we understand submission? And submission is an interesting, interesting place because that means to allow and abide under somebody's authority. Not saying that they even deserve it. It just means that God says this person is in charge and we submit, we abide under that. And the military is the greatest example because a lot of times the, the best person in the, in the group is not the person with the highest rank. And oftentimes in battles, the person that people are following into battle is somebody that's much lower than the guy that's leading. Now it's wonderful if the leader is also the one that they're following, but oftentimes they're just going into battle following a, a corporal or a sergeant and not the lieutenant or captain leading the leading it, but they honor that uniform and say, he's in charge, I'm going to, you know, he has the right. But they're not always ready to die for that person. Also. Everybody at the White Throne Judgment is guilty, and they will acknowledge Christ, uh, God as, as Lord, and Christ as Lord. We will do it voluntarily because we'll be happy to. Those who died without Jesus will be forced to. Some of them will recognize and, and know it's too late, and recognize him as Lord, some will be forced to. Uh, and the picture of this is the ancient battles where, where a king was captured and they were forced to bow, usually with a foot on their neck, and say, you will call this king Lord. All right, And that's the picture that is being applied here. Satan may be forced to be bowing down with his face on the, on the ground with the foot of another angel on him, on his neck, and saying, you will say that he is, he is Lord. Now, God could just think it too and make them say it, but there's, there's going to be that forced acceptance that he is Lord, and then they will be cast into the lake of fire. And this is hard for us to understand. You know, how can God be doing this kind of thing? But he is the authority, and he will say, you are going to honor this authority and recognize this authority as they're cast into hell or the lake of fire. And this is going to be a really hard time because 
all of this comes down to Satan's authority will be taken away from him at that point in time, or not taken away from him, but just become irrelevant because he's in the lake of fire. And no angel will have anything to do with him, and none of us will have anything to do with him. And we'll look at him, and you know, the scriptures tell us that when we see him in there, the people will say, this is the one that caused the nations to tremble. Now, I wonder what Satan really looks like. You know, when people look at him in the, lake, in the white throne judgment and going, he, he's the one that caused everybody so much trouble? You know, you know, and, I never, and I always think about the, the Wizard of Oz, you know, when they're, when they're at the Emerald City and they go, don't pay attention to the man behind the, the curtain, you know. And I think that's kind of what's going on. Satan is the ultimate flim-flam man. He is making this pretense that he is something great and wonderful. He is so much, he's putting on that he is so much stronger than, than everything else. But I think what it really amounts to is when compared to God, because in today's world, everybody thinks that God and Satan are, are somehow opposites. We hopefully as Christians don't take that understanding. He is a created being. He is not God's opposite. He is not God is fully good and he is fully bad. He is fully bad, but he has no power in comparison to God. He has no place compared to God. And I think that's really what that verse is saying. We're going to see God sitting on the throne and we're going to see Satan down there and going, why did we ever worry about him? We, we serve this God over here. This, he's a wimp compared to God. He, he is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. And he, now, he may be able to travel really fast in our, in our realm, but he is not everywhere at the same time. Now, he's got enough angel, uh, demons, fallen angels, that he probably does have quite a network going on around about us and is able to process that information quickly. But he is not everywhere at the same time like God is. So he is not all-knowing. He doesn't know everything. He doesn't know the future. He is stuck in time. God is outside of time. Because if, he was, if, God, if Satan understood outside time, then he wouldn't do all the stuff that he does. Because he'd already know the conclusion of it and would not do it. His hope is in, because he is stuck in time, that he can do something to prove that God does not know the future. But he knows that God is outside of time, so I don't know why he even believes that he can somehow beat God. Pride. Pride, you know, total deception. When you really think about how deceived he is and how he has deceived himself, it's kind of scary to think about. And yet, Michael would not make any kind of accusation against him in his position, his fallen position. All he said is, the Lord rebuke you. I'm here on God. God told me to come get the body. The, you know, the Lord told me to come get the body and you're trying to stop me. The Lord rebuke you because I'm doing what I was told. And that was his statement. He wasn't arguing with Satan. He wasn't fighting over, it, over this. He just said, God told me to do this, and now the Lord is going to rebuke you. Our attitude needs to be that same way toward our governmental leaders and anybody else for, that we have a leader above us, that we give them the honor that God tells us to, to give. And verse 10 says, But these, the same evil people, Speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know 
naturally as brute beast in those things they corrupt themselves. So those that are already defiled, already speaking evil, he gave this little sub example of Satan not doing that, but then he goes back to them. He goes, but these speak evil. You know, and this is kind of a very interesting statement of you know, what he's saying. They speak blasphemy. They're speaking evil words against the, the, the things. And then what is it? Of those things which they know not. You know, and this is the hard thing. Maybe we've done this ourselves, start speaking on something that we do not know or understand. Or we're around people that like to speak about things that they have no clue about what they're talking about. You know, I'm out of the prison and there's certain positions I'm going, I have no clue what they're doing, why they're doing it. But you know, one thing I do know, I've never done their job. So they may be doing it perfect. It may be the hardest job in the world. And there's one particular job I would not want to do their job. They have to sit there and watch the computers and open doors everywhere, listen to, the, listen to radios on three different channels, write down everything that goes on, and respond to everybody in, in timely manner, and open all the doors for everybody. I don't want their job. You know, sometimes it gets irritating because they don't open the doors fa fast enough. But you know what? I can't complain about it because I've never done their job. And I, what little I know about their job, I don't want to do it. So I'm not going to complain about their job. Because somebody might just say, well, you go do it. And I don't want to do their job. And you know, this is true of all jobs. When we think we know something about their job and we want to complain about a job, we want to complain about something, do we really know what we're complaining about? And I think it's interesting when people will make complaints, not fully understanding what they're talking about. And this is what he says, they speak evil of those things which they do not know. They do not fully understand. And, but what they know naturally, so in other words, what they know in the flesh. You know, what do I think I see? Now the problem with what we think we see is number one, we're very often incorrect. How many times have we looked at a problem in our life and it looks like a great big mountain or a giant, whatever term you want to use for it, and we get panicked by something in our life that's, that we're facing. And then God gets us to the other side of it and it's like, what was I so worried about? It really wasn't a giant, it really wasn't a mountain because God says, I want to show it to you from the spiritual realm. And you know, how many times have we had those things happen to us? Now, the other side of this is, if we really saw what was going on in the spiritual side of things, we'd probably be scared to death. I am glad God doesn't let me see the battles going on in the spiritual world. Uh, how bad are things going on? How, how much does Satan want to get us and God stops him on so many occasions, even though he allows them to come in on certain areas. And if we just understood what was going on all around us, we're in the middle of a battlefield. 
And we're starting to begin to see things like when we see these images of the Ukraine and everything and all the, and sometimes we get to watch the shells and stuff live, if you're watching the news, and we get a glimpse of what war is like. We are in a war, a spiritual war, around us all the time. Now, luckily, we have angels there taking most of the, most of the damage that's coming our way when God's protecting us. But there's a war going on all around us. And things that we do not understand because we see things in one dimension, this physical dimension. And there is so much more going on around us and in our life that can cause us problems. And I think if we really, really understood what was going on, it would be scary. If we really understood, and sometimes I do go, God, I... You know, what is going on? What, look at all these attacks going on. And I see it different than a lot of people because, you know, and if you've ever talked to me about taking over a position or something, the first thing I'm going to tell you is be ready for, Christ, uh, for Satan to attack you. And he always does. He does not like it when people step up to do something for God. And... Their, their whole life will be turned upside down to see what it takes to stop them from going forward. And it's very interesting to see what Satan will do. You know, I'm not even going to, you've all been there at some point in your life and watched what Satan can do to slow you down, to get you to stop, to want, get you to want to stop. And we over and over again have this problem. He goes, and they do, and what they know naturally as brute beast. And I find this kind of interesting, you know, people that do contrary to reason, just they do things out of instinct. Now, if you've ever had a dog, let's use a dog, and, that, and you take, try to take the dog's favorite toy away from him sometime, what does that dog do? As much as that dog loves you, cares for you, you try to take that food away from the dog or its favorite toy, you're probably going to be growled at, at best. <laughs> Maybe even actually bit, because they are acting on instinct. You, you try to deal with an animal that may be a very loving, kind animal that is hurt, and you want to clean the cut or see how deep the cut is, and the first thing they're going to do is be aggressive. This is what God's saying about humans that are not looking at the spiritual side of things. They act like brute beasts without reason. And this is going to be something that is going to be very hard to understand. And it says, in those things, they corrupt themselves. They make themselves evil. So I want to take just a few examples of some of the stories out there that uh, show this example. In the wilderness, as the Israelites were doing their wandering, a particular group of Korites, which were one of the Levites, went up to Moses and said, Moses, you and Aaron are, ta are, are taking too much upon yourselves. And, you know, hey, we're Levites too. God can talk to us just as easily as he can talk to you. Attacking authority attacking position, saying, Moses, you don't know what you're talking about. You, you don't have this real special relationship with God. God took 
and judge them. First, he had them bring their sensors in and find out whose was going to stay lit, and Aaron stayed lit. And then God brought a judgment on them. He did something really simple. He said, Israel, separate yourself from the Korites and their families. And he opened up the earth and swallowed them because they dared to attack Moses. Uh, you know, something very interesting. Miriam, Moses' sister, one day she got it in her mind that Moses wasn't such a great, great guy. Now remember, she's older than Moses. She was the one that watched the ark go down, the, the, the little bulrush ark that him get picked up by the, by the princess. And she went to the princess and offered Moses' mother to be the, the, the nurse, nurse for him. Uh, she decided, along with Aaron, that they would make as good of leaders or better than Moses. And if you remember what happened to her, she was struck with leprosy. She was made a leper with that full disease. And they stopped what they were doing. And Moses and Aaron were praying to God, please, please help our sister. And God graciously gave Miriam healing. And I don't know. I think she probably learned her lesson, I hope. But she did not go against Moses according you know, that the scriptures we record. So we see these things. And, of course, David against Saul. David, following Saul, being a good soldier, being a good follower of the king, and Saul's jealousy kept attacking David. You know, threw a javelin at him one day when he was playing the music for him, chased him all around the kingdom for years, and David would not rebel against Saul. Even though Saul fully deserved this, this uh, to be taken out. And on two occasions, David could have killed him. You know, goes up to him, he's sleeping, walked all the way, walked all the way through the camp, took, took, uh, took Saul's spear and, a, and his little side bag, and being encouraged by his people, kill him, he's, he's in your hands and left with the equipment to prove to Saul that he was not his enemy. And then the other one that he was talked in, he, David and his men are at the back of the cave and Saul comes into to the cave to rest and use the restroom. And David, while he's there, cuts off the, the hem of his garment and says, I could have killed you. You were in my hands. I, it would have been easy for me to kill you. And yet would not. How many of us would have done the same thing that David did? You know, I've been chased around for decades. Uh, he, here he is. I can, I can kill him. I don't have to be chased around anymore. Most of us don't think like that. Most of us wouldn't have thought at all with the godly thought. Yeah. We would have said, here's my chance. I've got him. I'm going to take care of him now. But that wasn't David's attitude. That wasn't Michael's attitude. That now is my chance. I can, I'm on a job for God. I can, I can start ripping in shreds because I'm doing God's work. This is not saying that our honoring authority was going to protect our life. We may get death or prison or whatever even though we are doing what we're supposed to do. David could have died at any moment because of his honoring that authority 
and not going against it. This, the, many of the first century Christians did die because they were honoring authority and not going against it. The, the whole idea is we're not guaranteed that we're going to live just because we obey bad authority. But God does say, I'm going to honor that authority. You're going to be blessed because of that authority, that, that doing what is right. And this is the hard thing for us. Many times when we do something right, it feels like so unfair when the enemy comes against us and makes us be penalized and go through hardships and have to suffer for doing what is right. Backfires. Well, it seems like it backfires, but it's not really backfiring, but it sure seems like to us in the flesh. God, I'm doing what is right. Why am I suffering? And it's just a frame of, you know, why do good people suffer and why do bad people get rewarded? Well, because God is sovereign and he has a plan. When we look at these things, it's really, we can always find reasons not to obey God. And I've said it this way many times, God, if you just knew my situations, you would understand why I can't obey your rules. And God's out there shaking his head and saying, my rules go are true for everybody. And we can keep coming up with why I shouldn't have to obey this rule, why my circumstance is different. And it gets us into some very interesting areas. You know, World War II and all of the stuff that happened. Where do you draw the line? How do you, how do you draw it? Uh, the disciples kept preaching the word of God even though they were told not to. And they were punished because of, because of it. And, and all of them died except for John because they obeyed God rather than man. But never did they go up and say, well, you know, hey, we were just obeying God. You don't have the right to kill us. They understood that they still were under the authority of the men that God had put into them, even though they were bad leaders. And this is where it gets very difficult. You know, there is a place where leadership comes in, in opposition to God, and then we have to obey God. So we, we throw out all these different possibilities out there, and there are ones that for us as humans look gray. But the question is, what does God say? And are we going to obey God? Now, in the case of Hitler, Hitler was so bad and so awful that he told people to do things that were very contrary to God's word. So at that point, you're going to go, I'm obeying God rather than man and take the consequences that were going to come because of disobeying man. The worldly consequences, but have future spiritual consequences. Each one of us, when we do follow God's way of think, doing things, we'll have to make our own conscious decisions on how far do I take this? How far do I obey or, you know, God rather than man? Do I take up arms? I don't know that I could. I don't know that I wouldn't. I don't know. Uh, because there is that whole murder issue gets us into all kinds of areas that are going to be hard. And this is why many times we have to just talk to God and follow what our conscience and what we feel the Holy Spirit is telling us. But we have to base it in the word of God to start with. There are times when I've had people go, well, I think God wants me to do such and such. I'm going, what's your Bible verse for that? Because I can give you four Bible verses that say that's not what, you're, what God's telling you to do. 
You know, if it goes contrary to what God says, then God's not speaking to you. you know, and it's pretty simple. But if it's something that is more of in a potential gray area, then listen to what God tells you to do. And it's hard. I'm glad I didn't live during the World War II period in, in Europe because I don't know how I would have responded. I don't know how I would have acted. Uh, most of the Christians capitulated to Hitler. And that is exactly what happened during that period of time. He just kept escalating it and finally he started doing everything in the name of Christ and then just finally said, I'm not even gonna hold that farce anymore. And he, got, and he basically started arresting Christians as well. Mostly because so many this Christians that were actually Christians were defending, defending the people that he was trying to take out. So if I, at the end, he just said, we'll take everybody. Uh, and we've taken everybody else anyway, so just take them. So we have to be able to understand that it can be very difficult following God. Very difficult following his ways. And the more we get used to following him in day-to-day -day decisions, that when we look at things, it would be so much easier if we just did it the world's way. You know, the ignore God, the more we do the ignoring God's way to do it the world's way, the less likely we are going to take and follow God when death is on the line, when true death is on the line. All right? And this is why our practice time is now. Am I ready to honor God in each step of my life today? When all that matters is somebody's going to make fun of me or you know, lose a job or something, if I can't stand for him in this day and age, I will not stand for him when, my, when the sword is out there saying, convert or die. And, well, yeah, I've got a real habit of converting, of, of converting, so I'll just convert. I'll repent, I'll repent one later and God will, God will accept it. And during the first century, there were many Christians that would just put the little grains of, of offering on the, on the altar for Caesar and then come back and say, God, I'm sorry. I was weak. Because they probably had a habit of compromising God's standards in their life. And this is why it's so important for us today to keep God's standards high in our life because those little foxes as we're told in Solomon you know are the ones that cause us problems they give us a little little problem here a little problem here but when we give in to the little things the big things will be easy to give into because we can't even hold up on a, on a little thing we can't protect our life on little areas when it's a big issue we're not going to give up and we're not, we are going to give up, listen, you know, because we've given, that is the pattern that we have developed. And the more we take, and this is the whole idea where, you know, how do you get rich? You watch every penny. You don't waste pennies. And people go, well, well, you get rich by dollars. Yeah. And you get poor by spending pennies and pennies and pennies. Now, how many times, and maybe you've experienced, we put $5,000 in the bank, you know, had a little bit of a windfall. And you go, I'm going to add to this, and at the end of this year, I'm going to buy something really big. And you get to the end of the year, and your $5,000 is dwindled down to $100. And you go, how did that happen? Well, it was the $20 meal here, and the gas tank cast here, and the, and, you know, the clothes you bought here, and you, and you spent it 
five, ten dollars at a time, and you get to the end of the year and go, where'd my five thousand dollars go? It's happened to me more than once, and it always happened to everybody else. You know, we get nickeled and dimed to, you know, to death, and we do this in our very life. We make little compromises to what we know God wants, and then wonder why we can't stand up to the big decisions in our life because we've made a habit of compromising God's word. And this is why we can come up with all kinds of reasons why we shouldn't be or not. And believe me, when I used to teach this thing on authority, people would come up to me and they'd give me all kinds of examples. And I'm going, all I can tell you is what God says. You argue with God, (laughs) not with all your possible things that could go wrong and all the possible ways that you can not obey God you decide either to obey God or disobey God. And the more we disobey God in little areas, the easier it'll be to disobey him in big areas. I'm sure the Korites didn't just get up one day and say, we're going to challenge Moses. You know, just because we we don't like what he's doing. It started out with little things. Why are we carrying these stupid boards all across this desert, you know, because Moses says, God said we're supposed to do this. Why aren't we in there, you know, actually offering the idol, offering the, the offerings? We're out here having to cut up everything and clean up all the blood and, and take care of these dirty, stinky skins and tan them and, you know, and they start grumbling about the little things that they weren't allowed, that they were doing And Moses' opinion was, you're serving God. You're in the temple. You're not having to do all these other things. And you're not happy with what he's given you. How often are we not happy with what God asks us to do? God, if I could just be, you know, if I could just be that pastor up there in front of a million people, if I could just be the, the head teacher of the church, if I could just be, you know, better at witnessing, if I could just be more recognized, if I could just be a better Bible study or whatever it might be, we get discontent with where we're at and we're in trouble. And this is something that's very important for us. Are we going to fully honor God's word? Or are we going to find reasons not to obey? And the reasons to not obey are easy to come up with. You know, and like I say, I, I take it to the extreme, you know, because none of us are actually going to tell God, you know, God, if you only knew my circumstances, you'd know that I'm doing right. We have enough brains that we wouldn't do that to him, but isn't that really what we're thinking? When we make our excuses, uh, well, God, you know, you, you know, I just can't obey you because. And what are we telling him? God, if you just understood everything that I was going through, you'd know that I was smarter than you, and I, and I have a better plan than you because I am smarter. And you just don't understand, you know, you're, you've got a one-size-fits-all answer to this, and, and my circumstances just don't fit into that, into that pattern. And I can almost picture God just shaking his head. If you only knew the future, you would know that my plan was best. And knowing that we're going to have to suffer because we think we know better. And... You know, if you've ever been around somebody who has climbed a corporate ladder by tearing everybody down and, and stabbing people in the back, they get to the top, and what is their problem at the top? Number one, nobody wants to help them because they stabbed everybody in the back coming up. 
Number two, they're always worried about who's trying to stab them in the back because that is the pattern that they established. They got where they wanted and now they're totally unsure that they can keep it. And unfortunately, many times they don't because they don't have the support of everybody that they tore apart coming up, they end up losing that position and the right people eventually get promoted. And all we have to do is understand that God has a plan. And his plan is good if we will just honor it and survive with it. And here we see all of these things that people are brute beasts <laughs> doing things by instinct rather than following God's rules. And make sure that we follow his rules and don't try to make exceptions and contradictions and all these other things. If we're being told to do something that is contrary to his word, then we obey him and take the consequences for that obedience. And this is something that has to be understood. There will be consequences for that disobedience to the world, but there will be rewards with God in heaven. And we're going to end there. seems like I went, went past 7 o'clock. Lord, we ask you to bless this time. Lord, teach us to, to be obedient in all that you do. Help us to understand that we are to obey you in all things and to trust that you know what's best in all things and that you have our best desires and great best needs in your mind before us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured of eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new Believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.